What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 261 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, January 12th. Yes. 2023. I don't know if... Is this the first podcast of the new it year? It is. Is it? All it right. It is the first podcast of the new year. Well, happy fucking new year, everybody. Um, I'm glad that all the holiday hullabaloo, as they say, is over and we can get down to some brash takes. And shit ain't gonna be closed for the holidays and everything's normal business hours and all that all that good stuff. How are you doing, Mike? This is my co-host, by the way, Mike. <laughs> uh I, I'm doing fine. Doing pretty good. We're talking about the top ten creepiest, in our opinion at least, segments of Unsolved Mysteries. And this actually should have been like for episode two fifty or two hundred. We should have done something special. But yeah. We're yeah. yeah. This was an idea I came up with like two or three weeks ago and I was like, Mike, I got a really good idea I think our fans would like. <laughs> And, and I figured it would, A, be a fun thing for us, and B, it would be something that y'all could participate in. And we did, I think we chose a couple suggestions that people posted in our Facebook group, uh, which if you want to join, just go on Facebook, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, uh, go to the Groups tab, and you, you should see our logo, yeah. and uh, you could have participated uh, if you could go back in time and, and do that, but you can't because now it's already done. And by the way, uh, thanks to everyone that uh, posted in the group. Uh, a lot of good picks definitely helped us uh, uh, remember yeah. some of the segments. Um, gotta say, gotta and, say, some of them, some of them weren't that creepy to me. Um, I agree. I don't know where they got the creepy factor from. Some of them, some of them were definitely but, creepy, but you know, yes, they were appreciated. But different opinions, you know, for for different different folks and that's all good and well and um i will say we we are listening to this as a top 10 but i we could easily do another 10 for you know another time because there's just so many creepy segments uh from this uh show uh but these are the ones that really i i would say probably stood out the most for us I think so, for me, it was what it, the main rubric that I would have to go off of since I've seen all these so many times was like, what impact, what really impacted me when I was a kid? That's what I had to think mm-hmm. about. Like, what, what were the ones that really stood out to me as a kid that like actually gave me nightmares or made me yeah. like hard for me to sleep that night? You I know? wish I could do it that way, but I don't remember as much in terms of what specific segments I saw. When I was a kid, like there were a few that I that I've already covered on the podcast, but I wouldn't really call them creepy. You know, like the one with the the burnt out car in the middle of a field. Like that's not really a creepy segment. You know, it's so th- there there are things that I remember. Uh, there's one in particular, the man house haunting. Uh, that is one that I do remember. But the other ones I just picked because I just thought they were really creepy and uh the first one that i chose on my list that is in no particular order by the way yeah no particular uh order. is rick's rampage uh the richard church case uh for those of you who aren't familiar with this case it involves uh, richard church who uh was wanted for the murder of his ex-girlfriend colleen ritter's parents raymond and ruth ann ritter uh, he also tried to kill Colleen, stabbed her numerous times uh, the same night that he killed her parents. Uh, 
I think he also stabbed her little brother. Um, in one of the most like cinematic, uh, like little vignettes, probably on the entire yes. show. The reason why this is definitely on my list and one of the first things that came to mind when it comes to like creepy unsolved mystery segments is because of that. The reenactment uh, when Rick goes on his rampage is something straight out of a slasher movie from the 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 late eighties or early nineties. Like it has that same uh, vibe. It had that it has that same atmosphere. The way that they shot things at night or with the lights off. Uh, very creepy. The music is uh, one of the things too that is a massive standout because the score in this segment by itself is chilling and you add that to these sequences of genuine terror i feel like i I feel like the use of like darkness and shadow was like very very much added to the the scare factor the the creepy factor of of you see uh one scene that sticks out to me is when the little brother matthew is at the top of the staircase and you just see shadowy rick coming up the stairs towards him and from almost like an over the shoulder perspective of matthew and it's just like oh man could you only imagine like waking up to that you'd be frozen the director the director also deliberately shot certain scenes at different tilted angles and stuff like that to to really create a very uneasy uh mood to to the entire uh rampage uh sequence there was even a pretty decent use of slow motion at one point uh when he's going after his girlfriend and she's talking about how he didn't say a word he just came after me with the knife and that in itself is just really creepy like it's just the idea of this this young man whom she was friends with and had had known for most of her life and he's just completely gone at that moment yeah like like she wanted to break up with him because she was going to college and he and and though uh though he was good looking he never he 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 wasn't really much of a talker he just kind of Uh probably was some boring you know because like josh projecting a little bit here but typically uh from you know me growing up fat and you know unattractive and (laughs) unappealing to women i had to develop a personality because i had nothing else to offer the world but i saw the more attractive you were in school the less interesting you had to be because people automatically want to be around you by virtue of the fact that oh you're hot you're instantly like accepted into the clique so um you know i'm seeing pictures of rick here in his in his prime and yeah, he was a good-looking guy, and apparently he was popular. But yeah, he had no fucking personality, and she was, you know, when she went to college, she's like, I think we should, you know, see other people, and he just couldn't handle that, and he, he started getting obsessed over her. He snapped. And, yeah, and he snapped. He literally snapped, and, and I, you know, the thought of a boyfriend going over to uh, uh ex-girlfriend's house and murdering the parents, it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty scary, but I mean just the way that they did it made yes. it even like that much more I mean there was even like that one shot, like the shot that that immediately just pops in there is the shot that is just showing the glint of of the knife yeah. in his hand. Uh-huh. 
So he's in the shadows and he's like standing alongside a wall and the the camera is focusing in on just the the knife and just the glint of the knife in the shadows. Like that is just that is straight up slasher movie material. Yeah, but um he he was eventually caught and he yes. pleaded guilty to the murders um, to avoid death penalty, and he's sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. And in this picture, he's going bald. <laughs> um, but you know, you see a scene like this, and it's like flash forward to the last up, ep- you know, the the one of the more recent episodes on Netflix, and it's like, take note, motherfuckers. Exactly. Like, geez, <laughs> look what you've let this this show devolve into. Look what it was like. I mean, you could even say that about the later seasons, like like seasons ten through twelve. Uh-huh. Like it, 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 it had devolved, uh, but I mean, yeah. they, it was still good. I mean, there was still some segments on there worth watching. But I mean, like these are like the golden years of uh, unsolved mysteries. So, all right, that's definitely Rick, that's Rick Church. Um, now we're moving on to Charles Morgan. It's an- another Mike. Oh, pick. you don't want to you don't want to go back and forth. Oh yeah, let's yeah, that's a better idea. That get, might get a little confusing for me, but let's see here. <laughs> um, so, I guess... Lay on font. Uh, did I... Yeah, here we go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so my pick uh, was Lay on font. And um, essentially, this was the case of a guy named uh, Bashir Koshadi, of Arabic last name. Um, him and his wife were American citizens. They um, went to Beirut um, and opened up some club there, and um, it was popular. His wife was worked at the club, and Bashir went to go pick his wife up from the club when he was basically like ambushed en route to the club by these mm-hmm. uh, some kind of a terrorist cell or something like militia group. And they threw him in the van. They threw him in some, you know, four-walled dungeon that had nothing but a single light bulb. And they essentially, like, kind of tortured him. And he was there for five days, uh, sleep-deprived. When they interrogated him, he said, hey, I'm an American citizen. And he's like, and the, the guy's like, the leader guy's like, you work for the CIA. And they threw him back into the dungeon I will say the 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 content of this case is one of the biggest reasons why I find it creepy. Some of some of the reenactments are in this uh, episode are a little creepy, but there's a lot of it where I I, I kind of chuckled a little bit, and I think that's not that kind of took me out of like the whole vibe. You know, like the you work for the CIA guy. The actor who plays uh, Bashir is not really the best actor, and like, there's a moment where you can really tell that he's wearing a fake mustache in that sequence, which kind of, which kind of t- breaks the illusion a little bit. And, don't, and then uh, when you get to the uh, don't piss in phone my calls, don't piss in my cornflakes. You're you're, <laughs> you you're the, taking a great big beer piss in my cornflakes right now. Oh, uh, when when you get to the phone call, like it is this little kid's voice you saying this? you're gonna die do you guys hear this guy right now do you do you guys <laughs> hear this guy pissing all over my my case that i found creepy? No, like, like, like i said i still find it creepy 
it's it's not because of the reenactment though anyway of the content of the case um so he's being tortured for like five days in this dungeon so eventually like he starts hallucinating he's he's thinking that he's hearing his wife and kids in the other room being tortured because like you know if you're sleep deprived for that long you you start hearing and seeing all kinds i mean like like losing like not sleeping is like the easiest way to like just basically like die or go insane yes like you people need sleep more than like like sleep and water Mm -hmm. like are like two basic needs but um Mm -hmm. anyway um so he's like i don't want to live anymore this sucks and he like slits his wrist with some kind of piece of plaster or something like that and there's a piece of plastic there you go and they open the door and they're like oh shit uh he's bleeding everywhere uh we weren't expecting this so they take him to a hospital and he ends up divorcing his wife, moving to the States, living in Washington, D.C., opens up another club that's actually becomes very successful, the likes of, like, Elton John and, uh, what mm-hmm. was that, like, Roger Moore, I think, was in... It picture. was also a restaurant, so... Yeah. It, was, it wasn't just a club. So, like, it, got, it became very popular amongst, like, not only celebrities, but also, like, politicians, seeing as it was in D.C. And then he starts getting mm. these, like, phone calls from, like, it'd be, like, these... At first, it was just breathing into the telephone, but then it would just... Well, that's creepy. Yeah. I gotta... And then, it, then it'd be, like, these, like, little kid voices being, like, you gonna die, you know? Um, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> Which, yeah, okay, it's kind of funny, but... Same time though, it's 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 the psychological aspect of it. It's not it's not really yes. so much the reenactment, but it was so bad. Like he got called so frequently by three thousand times in in eighteen months. Yeah, he got called so many times by these people. He had to check himself into a mental institution, mm-hmm. and he yeah. and, and they still called him. They and they still, still called they him still, in, the, in in the institution. Yeah, they found a way to. That to get to him, and he's been living as of that episode. He had been living in that mental institution for six years because yeah. these phone calls were that disruptive to his life. And the fact that I don't even know is he even still alive? It's a good question. Do we have any more info on this? Extra notes. I will admit, you know, like I did shit on the reenactment a good amount, but the reenactment does have some good elements to it. When he's in the 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 room where he's being tortured and he's hallucinating, he's having these audio hallucinations. They did a good job with that uh, sequence. Well, when he's getting the phone calls that have all of these like random gunshot fire and screams and stuff like that, that that was pretty effective. That definitely was a a bit chilling. I will say that I don't know if he's dead or alive, but uh, apparently in 2002, he became the source of controversy when he started two anti-Semitic and homophobic websites and and posted ads in the Washington Post claiming that, quote, Jews and the Israeli government were responsible for his abduction and harassment. Maybe he started as the the longer he was dealing with this, maybe he legitimately started losing his mind. Oh, it, I mean, it also there, says there is, um, there is a case for that. It also says the harassment by Les Enfants stopped after the broadcast. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So the theory was at the time of the broadcast is that like maybe he like this group, whoever they were, mistook him for some like foreign 
dignitary or something that oh that, that was like uh you know stand like his restaurant in washington dc was like somehow standing in the way of of whatever their agenda might be and and they basically wanted him to leave yeah. washington so they, and they were, did a lot of stuff i mean they tried to uh set up his jeep in a way where it would explode yeah and potentially kill him they kept up with the phone calls they i mean he even hired the fbi to uh you know monitor the phone calls and do and everything and that's how we have the number of three thousand phone yeah. calls and they did monitor it and they didn't do shit because they're like oh they're no. from a bunch of random phone booths what do you want us to do yeah, I, lo- I love the investigator guy who's interviewed. He's like, unless the guy, unless they have like a really expensive sports car, there'd have uh, to be multiple I, people doing this. There couldn't be just yeah. one person. Yeah. Um, so just the, just, but it it also extends to his uh, manager who took his place at the restaurant. That's what makes it even creepier. Is that it? What they weren't just targeting him. I, they started targeting the, the guy who took his place at the restaurant. And actually cornered his son in the woods and beat the crap out of him and then continued to harass the, the manager and like would uh, call the restaurant and be like, yeah, you know, you like that? Uh, that's, that's just the start of things. You know, you're like, Jesus Christ. I don't remember that part for some reason. Yeah, yeah. That was in the the because it's a forbidden segment, by the way, folks. This is a segment that is not on the Amazon or FilmRise uh, uh, episodes. Yeah. So just the thought of um, just getting harassing phone calls for like mm-hmm. many, many, many years of your life yes. to where and then to where you have to check yourself into a mental institution like that. That always. That and then like the content of the calls and and all that like that that really is what put what this case Le Enfant, uh mm-hmm. up there for me as as one of the creepier cases on the show. So that's what and it just seemed like all uh, this group they had a a really good ability to just do all these different things and just do it so effortlessly, and then they were able to just find information on anyone that was remotely connected to Bashir. Like they quickly found information about the manager. And it's just one of those things where just the fact that there's this shadowy clandestine group of people that is just watching your every move and is plotting to kill you. That, that is definitely some of the creepiest shit for sure. Yeah, so Um, so that's that one. That kind of ties into my uh, next pick, uh, the case of Charles Morgan. Um, This was a really a fascinating case uh, and definitely one that is really eerie. Very eerie. Uh, It deals with uh, 39-year-old Chuck Morgan. He was a successful businessman who was the president of his own escrow agency, um, he was also a potential witness in a state land fraud case involving a known crime boss. Uh, in the late seventies, uh, he left his Tucson, Arizona home to drive two of his daughters to school after dropping them off. He then vanished three days later. He arrived back at his home 
and according to his wife he was he uh was in pretty bad shape like he shows up he's missing a shoe he's got a plastic handcuff around one ankle his hands are tied together with a plastic zip tie and he can't speak but then with like a pen and a paper he writes in this like pretty creepy handwriting like even the handwriting here was pretty uh creepy yeah he writes down that he had been kidnapped and tortured. He wrote that there was this hallucinogenic drug that was painted on his throat. He claims in the writing that it would drive him insane or kill him if he ingested it. Which, I mean, that's like in like the first like two or three minutes of the segment. Yeah. So right away, you're like, oh, oh my God, whoa, like this is this is nuts. Yeah, they're coming and out guns, just, a, guns a blazing on this one. Yeah, just the thought of some someone being powerful enough having enough uh knowledge having enough uh ability to just kidnap you randomly uh torture you then put some drug in your throat and that could kill you like that that in itself is terrifying to me and then, you know, the wife's like, I'm going to call the cops. And he's like writing down, no, they will kill us all. So basically, yeah. like, you get to a point to where, like, y- you're dealing with an organization where, like, they're above the law. Yeah. Like, you can't even call the cops or else, yes. you know, you're fucked. Like, that just gave me chills just thinking about that. Because, like, well, you you can't call the police. The, the, you know, because uh, that'll just make things worse. And uh, then his wife nursed him back to health with an eyedropper. His voice returned. He talked about some secret identity. He talked about how he worked as an agent for the federal government against uh, organized crime, which ties into the fact that he testified against a mob boss earlier. I'm wondering if that's how he got into this uh, shadowy government uh, um, offshoot. Is that Oh, they saw he testified against a mob boss, and they were like, "Oh, hey, you know, we could use you. You want to come work for us?" Well, he had his little, he had his little just, like escrow business or whatever it was, yeah. and he did some some uh, work with the mob, like some of his yeah, clients. Yeah, I think he did some money laundering or something. Yeah, it was something like that, and uh, some business deal went afoul, and he figured mm-hmm. he would be protecting himself by making duplicates of these documents that like implicated mob people. But what mm-hmm. that actually did was according to uh, Robert stack, it signed his death warrant because I guess they knew he had the duplicates and yeah. So that's, I don't think it was just the mob though. That was solely responsible for what happened to him. I think the government was also absolutely connected to, uh, of what was going on. Yeah, well, um, according to Don Devereaux, who I interviewed for this po- very podcast, mm-hmm. if you want to go back a million the episodes. The man who became the source of a hit yeah, because of his involvement with this case. Yeah, that's a that's a, another story. But uh, yeah, um, Don Devereaux, if you want to go back a million episodes ago, I actually talked to him on the phone and... Um, you know, he talked about all this stuff in, in more detail or whatever, but um, <clears throat> he was saying that um, the U.S. there were U.S. government officials involved in all of this, like gold bullion and all that, because it's easy, mm. easier to money launder. Uh, they were involved in an unofficial capacity. 
meaning that it yeah. was just like kind of like a side hustle that they were doing. And of course, if it's in an unofficial capacity that it's illegal, it's illegal. <laughs> but also like if you if you're doing that, then, you know, wh- what is it really to rub someone out if they're if they're, you know, going to, you know, if they're if they're going to blow the whistle on you like exactly and and uh they uh, that's my theory i think they did rub him out um well, yeah i mean there's no other logical conclusion that you could come it's to. not a suicide no. that's just nonsense i mean as don Devereux said he's like in all the years i've been a journalist uh i've never heard of somebody going out in the desert wearing a bulletproof vest and then putting a bullet through the back of their head as a means yeah. of committing suicide i've never heard anybody going out that yeah. way no so speaking of the bulletproof vest, uh, after he was kidnapped uh, the first time, uh, Chuck became justifiably paranoid. He began wearing this bulletproof vest. He grew a beard. Uh, he started driving his daughters to and from school. Uh, but none of that really uh, did much to, to help him because he was once again uh, involved in uh, more shady dealings and uh, vanished. Uh, shortly before his second disappearance, he told his father that if anything were to happen to him, there was a letter that would tell him, would tell them who was responsible. The letter was never found. Um, eventually his body was found in the desert in his car and the, the police said it was a suicide, but nothing adds up. Um, nine days, uh, later after his disappearance, but before his body was found, uh, a unidentified woman called his wife and said, uh, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastics 12, one through eight. And that was it. Just mentioned some Bible verses and hung up the phone. And one of the creepiest aspects of this case is the $2. Bill oh yes. Today. The $2 bill kind of gives you goosebumps. Because you have the whole stuff with the kidnapping and the thing in the back of the throat and whatever, and you know that's creepy in itself. But this just raises the creepy level to uh, new heights. This is like some Illuminati shit. Yes, because it actually ties into the message that this mysterious woman left to his wife. Because the there's a two dollar bill that was found clipped inside uh, Chuck's underwear. Written on the bill were seven Spanish names from the letters A to G. Also, Ecclesiastics 12 was written, with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn in the bill's serial number. Like, when I heard that again, when I rewatched the segment, it gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Because it just, it connects. It ties together. And, you know, like, writing cryptic messages on money is always creepy to me for some reason. Yeah. And then you have... Uh, the whole stuff involving these two men in suits that came up, came uh, to his wife's home and just tore the house apart. Claiming they're uh, from the CIA or something. Yeah, the FBI. Three weeks after uh, Chuck's death, these, these guys came in and they just ransacked the house. And they didn't find anything. What I also wanted to mention about the bill was, like, on the back, they had, like, the founding fathers on the back of the Jefferson bill, mm-hmm. and, like, they were all numbered, like, one through seven yeah. or something. And then There was, there, like, a map yeah, there was, like, some, that was drawn. Yeah, there was, like, some crude map on the back of the bill as well, which I thought was creepy. It was, like, seriously, yeah, it's like, some Illuminati shit, you know? Uh-huh. 
And even uh, uh, Don Devereaux, when he started investigating this case, he talked to the FBI, and they were like, "We don't, we don't have anything uh, about Chuck Morgan. We, we have nothing." As far as the FBI was concerned, he didn't exist. And Don Devereux was like, "No, that's that's nonsense because I have documents showing that they talked to his lawyer, they did all this other stuff, so they clearly." were in on uh the investigation like they clearly knew something uh was up involving uh a chuck morgan and uh then don became the 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 target uh this there's this poor guy he i think he worked around the same area where don Devereux office wasn't was. his name like don johnson or something like that i i i don't know yeah uh I don't remember exactly what the guy's name was, but the guy was, I don't think it was Don Johnson. It the, was just, you know, the guy it, from Miami Vice. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, of course not. But it was this other guy, this poor, poor guy. He was in the same vicinity as Don Devereux. Well, their houses were like, they, they were like across the street neighbors and they drove yeah. like the, a similar car like the similar uh-huh. make and model and all I that i think he worked around the same place that don Devereux's office was at yeah and they, yeah they had the same car and then the guy got shot he got killed and then don Devereux and his uh uh looked into his sources and found out that it was meant for him the bullet it was, was meant for him yeah and the contract was still out on on his life which that that's also you know, creepy. I mean, there's so many creepy layers to the to this uh, case. Yeah, and that, so that's I not def- even. I definitely had to. That's not even talk uh, about this one. adding in the Danny Casalero like angle yes. to it as well. Yeah, that's. That, I feel like that one goes more in the most brutal uh, cases on unsolved or, mysteries. Yeah, disturbing. Yeah. yeah. So up next, we have, of course, um, if we're talk- talking top 10 creepy, how can we not mention Cindy James? Um, yes. Scared to death, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is a, a classic case. I think two books have been written about it. Um, basically, you have Cindy James, um, who lived in the quiet city of Richmond, a suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia, um, her body was discovered in the yard of an abandoned house. Um, th- she was uh, 44 years old. She had been drugged and strangled. Her hands and feet had been tied behind her back. She had previously been the victim of harassment and assault by an unknown assailant. Despite this, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police believed that her death was either an accident or suicide. And the reason pretty much why they believed this was because anytime anything would happen... It would be the moment that everyone looked away. Like, like any time mm-hmm. they would have police surveilling her house for like hours at a time, and then the moment that they left, then something would happen. Um, there yeah. would be uh, the times where she'd be staying at a, a friend's house, um, you know, to to for protection, and somehow the downstairs basement would catch on fire and you know cindy james was like oh well i was just uh out walking my dog and you know it's like 2 a.m in the morning and for someone who's supposedly so freaked out about being stalked by this unknown assailant like why would you be out 
walking your dog at 2 a.m. And there was just a lot of inconsistencies to her story. Well, yeah, I see a lot of people pointing out the dog thing as like proof that she just did it all herself. And I'm like, you know, you know, it, it when you are kind of it's one of those things I can get it. But at the same time, I don't really buy that she did everything that she did all the all of these all of this elaborate stuff herself. It just seems more far fetched than the idea of her taking her dog out for a walk at 2 a.m. One night. I think the whole bit about her shoving a paring knife through her own ass hand. Uh, yes. That's that would take a great deal. Yes. Of mental fortitude to be able to do to yourself. Or just what happened uh, prior to her death. It was a buy that she bound herself and did all this other stuff. And then, of course, you got and the then, police that, that were already at this point just so skeptical. And they're like, well, we had a knot specialist come in and replicate and hogtie themselves in under, you know, five minutes flat. And the morphine wouldn't have taken effect for, you know, 15 minutes and yada, yada, yada. It's like you are specialists. She's not an expert. <laughs> She's just a nurse. That we know of. <laughs> She's not a knot specialist. She's not anything like that. I think she did have mental problems, though. I do agree with that, and I think that's what makes it doubly creepy. Like that that adds an extra level to the creepiness in itself, is this whole thing of how she started to lose her mind while I think she legitimately was being uh, targeted. She legitimately was being harassed, but then... She she must have had some sort of uh, break at some point during the harassment, and you know that's that in itself is really creepy. The idea that you're being uh, targeted by some unknown assailant who is harassing you, making your life a living hell. It gets so bad to the point where you snap and and you have a mental break, and then. Now, because you're dealing with your mental break, now all these people are you know, around you. They just think it's because you're crazy. They don't believe you. And th- that's a very scary thought is that you're like, no, this is actually happening. But then people are like, well, you were in a mental institution and blah, blah, blah. And you had a mental breakdown. Uh, you know, why should we believe you? They start thinking that she's an instance of, you know, cry wolf, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And. Yeah, it was, it was just uh, like so, like so just like watching the case from like as far as like mm-hmm. the reenactment, which I feel is one of the stronger reenactments of, yes. of the of the series, the actress yes. who played Cindy James um the moment there's that one moment where like she's sitting on her couch and the phone rings and she's got her like dog in her lap and she's smoking a cigarette and like she picks up the phone and then her eyes get wide and the camera zooms in like real dramatically like like Mm -hmm. not too much though not comedically but like zooms in you know kind of quick like it just it gave me the chills when i watched that like like when i was younger like i just remember being like oh my god this is like really creepy like but I don't know why it shouldn't be as creepy as it is, you know, because like on paper, you know, the, this this show, uh, you know, 
Yeah. The 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 thing that everyone says, oh, it's got just these cheesy reenactments and this, that, and the other. Man, some of that, sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they really, like, sometimes they really struck that perfect step of ambiance and uh, just camera work and the actors being... Well, I mean, whenever you have Robert Stack's narration coupled with all of that, too... That like, sparse that music makes... by Gary Malkin. I mean, yes. like, yeah, just the whole... Thing, especially in their especially the early seasons you know you can't you can't really like yeah you, you can't fuck this with those is from season three and we have a at least three cases and, and segments from that season uh that we we chose for this episode and i i think season three like that that might be the sweet spot of unsolved mysteries because there's just so many gold so many great segments and cases in that season alone I love the smart ass uh, journalist guy, kind of Michael J. Fox looking yeah. guy that they uh, have on this yeah. segment. Like I, I don't know, I just liked that guy. I liked his, um, <laughs> I liked his 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 uh, kind of slacker ass, uh, yeah right lady, uh, you know, kind of attitude that he took to the whole thing. I don't know, that uh-huh. guy always stood out to me for some reason in this case. But uh, yeah, I mean that's but not in a creepy way. No, like, the creepy. No, the he guy. was he was just kind of <laughs> like the. He was kind of like the the rational, like okay, like she's saying the all this, yeah, the skeptic, yeah. but like in a in a period where it's like okay, we haven't really heard any skeptic this entire time. It's it's nice to have like a mm-hmm. nice dose yeah. of skepticism at some point in a case like this. But yeah, it, it is one of those cases that uh, you know I definitely would put on a list uh, of creepiest seg- segments myself. I, I had a feeling you were going to pick it, so that's why I didn't pick it for uh my uh five um yeah it's one that when i first saw it it stood out to me just because of the elaborate nature of uh the harassment and just everything that was going on how how she died um and i mean it just it just felt like something that was just so absurd that you couldn't believe it was true you know that kind of thing where you're like this didn't happen like you're thinking this this was this was some kind of like script or something like this was some movie or whatever about some woman who was harassed it was some tv movie of the week type thing you know they I, they really the, lucked out by even like getting this case because i, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of shows out there that would have loved to have like like chomped chomped at the bit to get like a case like this and then like turn it into like some kind of you know like whether it's uh whatever i don't know there wasn't really a show like unsolved mysteries at that time that was no that's what i'm saying i don't think they really lucked out they were really kind of the only yeah they're the only ones really taking the now yeah america's most wanted but that wasn't like a reenactment per se in the same way it was kind of like they did but it was very cheap very (laughs) low budget had nowhere near the same amount of atmosphere and definitely sightings would have never done a case like this oh no never because the sightings is not about true crime right um but yeah cindy james great pick it's just the 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 nature of her death and just the extent of the harassment is is absolutely some of the creepiest stuff that's uh been uh, showcased on the show yep uh, my pick my next uh, pick uh, is uh, the man house in Lake Wales Florida uh, this is one I actually do remember watching 
when I was younger. Uh, the image of the light bulb on fire, that's something that has just been burned in my brain they, ever since when, I first saw the segment. When the uh, when Alan Mann's wife, Cindy or whatever, I don't forget her mm-hmm. name, when she becomes like possessed in the bed and she starts like laughing maniacally and her eyes get real wide and shit. As a kid, I always had to like mute that part and like look away. Linda. Linda. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cindy, that's a chick we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah uh linda uh i i that part always like really scared me so like i thought this was a good pick and honestly like even watching it tonight i'm I'm alone in my house and it's like night and i'm like i'm like kind of looking around you know so uh-huh. yeah this is yeah. a good choice and it's not yeah. it's not creepy um for the fact that alan man is a pedophile because uh he's like 20 or 21 and he married like a 16 year old uh, they, well, I guess he was actually. I, I think I remember reading something that he was like eighteen or whatever when that happened. I feel like in the show and, they said he was like twenty. Yeah, I don't think that was actually as accurate as. as oh, it says nineteen, um, nineteen year old Alan. Yeah, still yeah. though, man, sixteen. Like that's. Yeah, I know. That's pretty fucking weird. It is, but I think it, I did read something that he was a part of a certain uh, religion where it was kind of. Uh, unfortunately kind of a normal thing um so it is what it is like the legal age of consent in sweden is like i think 16 jade let me know if that's right or not jade's one of our swedish listeners so anyway uh the man house uh the 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 creepy aspect of it is not that (laughs) that's not why i picked this case (laughs) or this segment uh, this one deals with a haunting where uh, Alan Mann was living with his parents uh, along with his wife and uh, started experiencing some spooky stuff in the house. Initially, it, it was just it, it didn't seem like it was as violent and as uh, increasing in uh, its intensity as it ultimately would become later. Like when it first started, it, you know, that he saw some shadowy figure and, or he saw a, a, the, an apparition of a, a mysterious woman and then it disappeared. His uh, mother was watching TV with her dog, a uh, prince, and then she saw this weird uh, floating smoke uh, figure, and then it disappeared. And for some reason, whoever whoever thought this was a good idea is an idiot. Because they decided, oh, well, we're dealing with some ghost activity. Let's break out the Ouija board. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's let the dead yeah. talk. Let's open up the gate, the like the 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 portal, and let the spirits come in, like yeah. a, a proper. You know, let's give them a proper, in like like window into proper our house. Welcome, yeah. Let's give them a, a good welcome. Uh, let's just open that open that gate. Let them all flow in. Let them have a party. Do whatever. Um, like they enlisted some friend. Was it the friend's idea? Like. Some friend that guy is. <laughs> yeah, some company Parker Brothers is a kids fucking <laughs> game company. Let's let's put out a a way to communicate with demons. That'll be a fun uh, stalking stuff. Yeah. 
so she enli- she enlists a friend. Linda enlisted a friend with a Ouija board, and with Alan, they obtained the name Kramer, but no one knew who that was. Um, just imagining, uh, you know, Kramer from Seinfeld. Like, what kind of haunting hey, would buddy. be involved with that guy? <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Got anything to eat? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Alan's father, he was a skeptic until he started smelling stuff because after they did the Ouija board, then things got crazy. Uh, Linda got possessed and one night and was like laughing, uh, like a maniac and apparently gained like superhuman strength because she was pinning Alan down and I like how uh, Alan, like, uh, he, he threw in that, like, weird flex where he's like, yeah, normally she can't hold one of my arms down with both of her hands because I'm such a big, strong man. In fact, really? I'm, I'm such a man. My fucking last name's man. <laughs> Two ends. I, I think I think uh, he's he's also very heavy set, so I think that's another reason why it's probably hard to get him down. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and he's got an unfortunate eye situation. He kind of reminds me of like Fat Elvis, you know, like really like the like the overboard depictions of Fat Elvis. He looks like Fat Elvis's like brother if his brother had (laughs) been deprived of oxygen for like 10 minutes at birth. Uh, I will say I will say like uh, how and I'm not like, you know. I don't know how Lin like I okay, I'm just gonna put it like this. Linda could have done a lot better <laughs> than Alan. Uh I don't know what kind of charm or, or financial promises that Alan was laying on Linda, but uh she could have done a lot better than, than than that dude. Anyway, that's my shallow two cents. <laughs> I do like uh when Alan's talking about how she has this squeaky little giggle and then this was almost an evil laugh. And I'm like, almost. <laughs> Sounds like it is definitively an evil laugh. And she just just got increasingly more violent, wouldn't let him go. Uh, his parents were outside and they were hearing what was going on. And my guess is initially they're like, oh, you know, they're doing something. You know, they're probably thinking like they're, you know, doing some sort of role play yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the schoolgirl and you're the, you know, teacher and it's like, well, yes, that's accurate. You are still in high school. Um, not that kind of role play, but okay. Um but then it just got really loud and the laughing was just re- just get, got increasingly more disturbing and then they the, <laughs> I, It wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if I randomly heard somebody laughing like Woody Woodpecker in the middle of the night, that would be pretty creepy. <laughs> well, that's goofy. <laughs> that would be really goofy. Um, But, yeah, there's that whole stuff going on. And eventually, Alan, like, slammed her against the wall a bunch of times. And then she snapped out of it. And the fact that she continued her conversation from the point she left off before she was possessed, like that was something that definitely gave me a chill. Yeah. Like she didn't even know what had just happened. And then they interviewed her and she's like, 
I, I didn't. I, I don't remember doing any of the things that he said that I did. I, I, I don't laugh. I don't have a creepy laugh like he says I have. I have yeah, a, I, I don't have, have an evil laugh. I have a normal <laughs> laugh. I, I'm just not that kind of person that would, di- you know, do that. And I'm like, well, what, what kind of person does that? Like, what, what are you referring to a crackhead? I mean, like, I don't, th- I don't <laughs> think anybody lays up in bed and starts laughing maniacally and starts pinning people down. I don't know if that's uh, a classification of a person. That would, you know, I just I always thought that was like a weird line. That might be that might be a turn on for some guys. I don't know. Maybe, Mike. <laughs> no, not my thing. I, I, that that's you know that's that's just not the type of person I am. Not uh, my type. Hey, buddy, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> so yeah, it got really bad. Uh, everyone started suffering from headaches. They began hearing not just one voice, but like a mass of voices. I thought the the uh sound editors did a good job in this segment uh showing what that would sound like um the voices were dull with one with uh one woman's voice over the top of them and they were muttering and mumbling and they couldn't understand anything they were saying uh that would drive me nuts i mean the the bad smell that sounds like what they said like old diesel or something yeah like like the bad smell yeah that's that's not fun but like the fucking voices like that shit would drive me insane the smell was probably just adam man's farts dude looks like he farts a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's it's probably just the bo of that house he's he's just blaming he's just blaming it on the ghost (laughs) yeah just oh wow that was a weird that was totally a ghostly phenomenon oh that smell wow that's a ghostly that smell is from hades that's definitely not me or my egg salad sandwich i had for lunch (laughs) so um they had some local psychic visit the house um a few uh, weeks uh prior uh um man's uh dad uh he ha- randomly mentioned the name isabella because he just got he got he got pissed off he, he was like i, I got I, he like he this. like his dialogue rhymes i don't know if they meant to do that he's like yeah. i'm tired of the smells bells whistles and yells or something like that yeah <laughs> he's like i'm t- he's like tell isabella to stop it and she's like how do you know her name is isabella He's like, I don't know. I just it just came to me like a voice in your head, like your that little voice, your conscience or whatever. Like it said, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Il- Isabella. And then they got this psychic to visit the house, and then he came up with the name Isabella Kramer. Kramer is the same last name as the one on the Ouija board. Isabella is the same one that the dad randomly came up with. Uh, they had a minister come in and visit the house. And things settled down for a bit. Uh, I think prior to that, like they did some other stuff where they like poured salt around the house, and that didn't really do anything. I love the, di- they, the I love the stack narration there. It's like other than the sacrifice of a few snails, it did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't this the one where he also has that line where he's a, he talks about the he's the poo pooed. Like, like he actually mentions poo pooed in in the narration. I don't, I don't think so. Or maybe no, no, that might be the Whitfield UFO. Actually, the more I think about it, um, but yeah, there, there's like one bit of narration where Stack just says, you know, people poo pooed what happened, mm-hmm. which is a term that you don't really hear anybody use anymore. 
I think for good reason, because it's hard to take anyone seriously when they use that term. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, apparently they, whenever they tried to do something to like exercise the ghost or do these other things, like it would settle down for a couple days, but then it would just get worse. Eventually they were like, all right, we're done. We're going to move. So, uh, when they were packing, uh, Linda was cussing out the ghost, which I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) You already got possessed by the ghost. Like, I, I don't understand that thought process. Like, if I knew I got possessed by a spirit, I, I don't think I want to anger that spirit again. I'm just saying. With her fucking accent, I could just see her cursing it out like boom, how, don't damn, damn, dang old ghost game, motherfucking goddamn, I'll kick your ass and tell, tell you what. <laughs> King of the Hill haunting. Like, that 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 that, that would be. I'm, I mean, I'll tell you what, with that old boo, man, I'm trying to scare you, man, and all that, staying, just trying to sleep and can't go to bed. I'm a ghost, I'm haunt you. Like really, I would I would actually like to. That would be a fun episode, like a Halloween episode where they stay in a haunted house, the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she starts cursing, swearing at the ghost, and then the light bulb catches fire, and that's the moment that I was talking about. Which I mean, uh, clearly, that, like you know, there's like a blowtorch behind yeah, the light bulb. But like, I was a kid. I didn't. I didn't know. I wasn't paying attention to that. It was dark. It was late at night. You should have known, Mike. You, know, you should have known. Watching unsolved mysteries, and then a freaking light bulb explodes. I think I remember like checking light bulbs after that, like hoping that you know, stuff didn't explode. All right. But, so that's um, that's the manly one. Yeah, um, that's the man haunting. All right, so next uh, we're going to move on to my pick, which is Devin Williams. Mm-hmm. This one always, this is one of the ones that stuck with me from a kid that like scared me as a kid because my dad was actually a truck driver. Um, my dad's a truck driver too. Yeah, both so my dads were uh, drove truck. Mike uh, has gay parents. He has two dads. <laughs> <laughs> you no, just, you just said it. Both my dads are truck drivers. No. No, no, no. I, I have, I have. So a, when, they a father. when they said ten four, when they said good buddy, they really meant like good buddy. Nah, I have, I have, I have a biological father and a stepdad. Um, my biological father divorced my mom when I was like five, and then my mom married my stepdad many, many years later. So, yeah, I technically do have two dads, but one, only one, is my biological father. Um, and both of them drove truck and my stepdad, because I've talked about this before in the podcast, he actually has had a history of mental breakdowns. So this segment, I didn't grow up with it. I actually watched it for the first time for the podcast. And we covered this case a long ways back. And I think that was pretty soon after his breakdowns around the same. So it was something that definitely did stick with me. And and probably in a different way than it does uh, for Josh, because I have a uh, firsthand experience with mental breakdowns and stuff like that. And he was very close because he was driving truck one time. I think the last time he had a breakdown and it was somewhere in California and he was just wandering the streets, just being completely incoherent and out of it. And if it wasn't for someone who worked for the same company that he was working at who recognized him 
I I'm I probably would not have him in my life right now. So it, it was very close to being a situation where it's one of those missing persons things where somebody just snaps and then it is gone and so on. So yeah, uh, th- this segment definitely does stick with me in terms of the fact that I believe 100% that this this that Devin Williams had some sort of mental breakdown. Yeah. So uh, during Memorial Day weekend on Sunday, May 28th, 1995, in Arizona's Tonto National Forest, the last thing any of the campers expected to see crashing through the woods was a 48-foot, 10-ton, 18-wheel semi-truck. Yeah. Yeah, in the reenactment, um, they they actually do what they're talking about. They're they're showing a fucking semi truck barreling down this like this 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 dirt road in this national forest, mm-hmm. and uh, there were people who uh, witnessed this. Uh, there were times when the 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 uh, semi was kind of like stuck, or it was just out in the field, and this old guy. Well, there was stuff prior to that. The, the the one of the creepiest parts of it is the one when he, he's barreling uh Devin behind the wheel of this uh uh semi he's barreling towards the these campers in this this car and they're like desperately trying to back out and get away from the guy and the the guy who was uh in the car he's interviewed and he's talking about how you know we were looking at him and there's just nothing just blank expression on his face like he like he didn't even know what was going on meanwhile the guys the doing. guys like slamming the car in reverse you know yeah. like with all his might trying to like keep this fucking semi from ramming him you know yeah. off the road or that, whatever that is some scary shit right there yeah because he's just not there just blank slate doesn't just just barreling head on towards nothing in his mind probably he probably isn't even aware that the car is even there (laughs) yeah then there's the other scene where like another camper drives up on him and his semi is just kind of like in the field and and he's Mm -hmm. just kind of like standing around aimlessly and the guy's like hey can i help you and he's like oh uh, no i'll never be able to get this thing unstuck i'm gonna get arrested and the guy said as soon as he heard the word arrested, he thought, okay, there's some kind of hostage situation. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of something illicit going on. So he, he fucking hit the bricks. And then like the third thing that happened that always like as a kid stuck out in my head was, um, a third, uh, car pulled up on him and he was like squatted down and he was striking a $20 bill with a rock. And he was like, uh, they're like, Hey, is there anything I can do to anything we can do to help you? And he's like, I got to get the the grill going. And clearly there was no grill and there was no anything. Mm-hmm. And, and as as a kid uh watching that, I didn't I didn't know that adults could behave so irrationally. Like mm-hmm. I thought that that was only silly stuff that kids would do or cartoons or whatever. I didn't know like and this wasn't like a a, a cartoon show by any means. This was like a serious show that in my kid brain, I was like, everything that happens on here is like, you know, this is like shit that is real because, I mean, it was. But I, I, like to see an adult act in such a manner that um, just didn't fit into my worldview of like 
possible things a, a, an adult would do because it was just it, it made no sense. So it was like mm-hmm. that scared me because it was outside of my small little bubble of. So what, it was like your first uh, exposure to mental breakdowns. Yeah, like yeah, and like. And, and, it, and, you know, none of it was explained to me. It was just something that was on the TV that I watched. And, and like, you know, my parents weren't monitoring what I was watching. They weren't there to be like, okay, honey, uh, you know, that's that's called like he was having a, a, a mental um, – I don't even know if mental breakdown is a politically correct term for it anymore. He was having a, some – like a some an episode and it's treatable and it's you know blah 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 like that would have comforted me but like i just watched that and stored that in my head as as if like well if it happened to him what's keeping that from happening to my dad who also drives a truck mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. it really like creeped me out like all like this yeah. this show really fucked me up a lot <laughs> like more than i want to admit like as much as i love it like it really fucked me up a lot as a kid you're watching. not the only one like a lot of people who grew up with the show can probably relate yeah like i you mean know, with the paranoia yeah and, and like, you know the, stuff like that not only like the ufo stuff but just the non-ufo stuff like this was sometimes the scariest because it's like yes like the feet like the theater of the mind you know not not mm-hmm. necessarily what's out in outer space it's like what's inside you and what can what are you capable yeah. of you know and you see all these people on this show yeah. and, and the things that they're what they're capable of like if if they go too far in one direction and basically after that he w- wasn't really seen now a lot of people want to blame this on drugs but he according to his boss who was interviewed he passed all of his drug tests, and when he dropped his load off in California, he seemed fine, and then he picked up the load that he was supposed to bring back, and then he just ended up out in the fucking woods. And then after that, um, the rock incident with the $20 bill, he was not seen again. Um, but on May 2nd, 97, hikers found a human skull at the bottom of Magalon Rim near the intersection of Forest Road 321 and Rim Road 300 in Gila County, about a quarter mile from where Devin was last seen. Dental records confirmed it was his. There was no- Apparently it was a place that they had searched before, but then they did another search later and they, they found uh, the skull. Yeah, there's a bunch of theories to explain his behavior, including a diabetic episode, sleep deprivation, carbon monoxide poisoning, mental illness, and drug use. None of these have been confirmed. Well, it's hard to confirm anything like that because there's no way to... Once somebody is dead, like... Once they're a skeleton fragment, it's kind of... Yeah. You know, there's not really any soft tissue to, like, you know, because that's that's what that stuff gets You don't have a brain to study. You don't have anything like that. Uh, I think it was a textbook case of a of a of a mental uh, breakdown. That's what I think it was. That I had a he had a, something snapped or whatever could have been spurred by sleep deprivation. That's a possibility. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I don't think uh, the diabetic episode seems a little off to me. I, don't I have- mean, there's a possibility that maybe you could act like that. Uh, you know, it's something the diabetic. Uh, uh, episode related, but I don't know how common that is. Um, but once again, I'm not what do you would call an expert. But did I don't know if it's really known that he had diabetes. Like, if he did have diabetes, then 
okay, maybe maybe that's 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 definitely possible. He looked like he had diabetes from his pitcher. Possibly. I'm not gonna make that assumption though. He was five I don't he was five eight and he weighed hundred and ninety pounds and from the pitcher that was not muscle. Well, I mean there are some people who are overweight, but they still aren't diabetic. Um but drugs, I don't think it I don't think it was drugs. I, I He could have had some no, of that no. that that good old trucker meth. Yeah, but like, it keeps I don't you know going through the make, night. I don't know if it would make you act like that. Oh, it absolutely would. Well, I mean, to the point where you're stri- striking a dollar bill. That's what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, that's that's more you... consistent with like a um, like a schizophrenic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that's that's closer to more. Like, there was happened. a case on Unsolved Mysteries where there was a guy who quit his job and started acting really irrationally. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, and um, his yeah. his his mother and sister drove in his car. And in that, just in that one trip in the car, they found themselves having headaches and this, that, and the other. And they mm-hmm. found that there was a slow carbon monoxide leak inside his car. Yeah. And he had been driving it for however long. And that constant exposure to those those trace amounts of carbon monoxide uh, totally could have affected those kinds of changes in his brain to make him act the way he did. And he ultimately became a missing person. Yeah. So it could yeah. the carbon monoxide thing could totally be like a thing as well. Possible possible. Uh but yeah, it is it is very creepy just the the idea of uh just suddenly without warning uh just your your brain, your mind just snaps. That's always my biggest fear. That's like literally my biggest fear is that I go crazy one day. And here's the thing I, I do use the term without warning because that's a very common terminology. But there, from personal experience, my stepfather was talking about things where it was as if his body was signaling that something was wrong and that something was going to happen prior to, to his breakdown. It involved with his body not really reacting the same way to certain foods. So it was almost like a random food allergy that mm. he never had before and was only having in during this time before an episode. Interesting. Which I think is really interesting. And I'm wondering if there is more to that in terms of, uh, you know, other people who have experienced episodes where they're not, you know... They've they've had those sort of uh, warnings from their body because it kind of makes sense that the body would try if it had the ability to do so to flash some sort of warning sign. I don't know. My my friend Abigail. Well, no, fuck it. I'll say her name. My friend Abigail, who's Mm -hmm. a recovering schizophrenic. um, She literally went to bed one day sane and woke up the next day insane <laughs> like, yeah sometimes it can happen that way like too. literally like the next day she woke yeah. up and she was having like schizophrenic uh, hallucinations yeah. that's 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 tough but then come to find so, out um a she was getting like little to no sleep every night she said she'd sleep for mm-hmm. like three or four hours a night um because of school was so early and that's she'd stay that's up not gonna help your mental state um two she um it ran like her it like ran in the family or something um mm-hmm. 
like that's the case with my stepdad her her dad was like older and mm-hmm. and had sex with um her mom when her mom was like really young and he was really old that's Ooh. a that's another recipe for mm. schizophrenia in children and then yeah. three um she was abused as a child um in, yeah. in a way that's um not uh, I'm trying not to reveal too much shit about her, but uh, yeah. That's, so, so that's, that that's tough. Yeah, all those all those things kind of like contributed to her. So that I'm just to triggers. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying that uh, just for people who like who are hypochondriacs like me, like oh, that means I'll, I might just wake up one day insane. It's like, well, you you kind of need to have some of those factors in place. Well, yeah, because with my stepfather, his his father, he he had a breakdown. And I and that's why he commits suicide. So that's something that definitely runs sadly and is part of the family. But he's doing great now. He's gotten on you know medication and he's been doing therapy and he hasn't had an episode in, in quite a long time. So uh, it, it's it's really uh, a blessing in a lot of ways that he's still here and he's doing well. And he's found the treatment and everything. Um, but when it comes to, you know, on the road, like it, it's, it's, it, there's, there's not a lot that is going to prevent you as a truck driver from just completely just being lost in that state or just being alone. And then ultimately, I mean, I, I don't remember if they were talking about if Devin dis- committed suicide or not. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, just a skull. But I mean, that that's a possibility. I don't. Well. Th- I, I don't. I, th- I don't Whether think when you're when you're in that like state. I don't. I don't know if you have the wits about you to like actively like kill yourself. I think he probably just died from exposure or something. Well, I mean, sometimes that can happen where, like, for example, when Robin Williams killed himself, he was having a lot of delusions and having a lot of issues because of the the disease. Well, he he had him. like a form of like Parkinson's. It was like what Gar- like G- Gary Body syndrome or something like that. Was, yeah, yeah, uh, Louis Body. Louis Body. Yeah, it's like a form of. Uh, but it's not just strictly Parkinson's. It's a separate thing, and on top of that, it does create like delusions and like issues with your mental faculties so he easily could have not necessarily been all there when he did did what he did so i think there's a possibility that you could wind up doing that when you have a manic episode i mean that that's there's a lot of suicides where that's happened where you're having a manic episode and you just there's just something that some moment of clarity where you're like i I've lost my mind and uh, I can't deal with this anymore. And then bam. All right. We're going to have to move on to the next segment here, but yeah, I know we got to, we got to move on, but it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a segment that is creepy in a way that is very realistic and raw and just, just taps into some things that definitely do. uh, (laughs) I definitely have left an impact on me in my life. But uh, the next segment uh, from my list is the Blind River Killer. And this one, this is a segment I picked because of two things. For one, the composite of the Blind River Killer is just terrifying just to look at. And just the shocking, random brutality of this guy. 
and his actions and also the you know the setting you're it happened to 62 year old uh gordon McAllister and his wife uh, jacqueline Lindsay of ontario canada they went on a vacation uh, across canada in their rv they planned to visit relatives during the trip uh, they decorated their their camper uh, with uh, photographs of family to make it as homey as possible, which is sweet. And they were on the first leg of their trip, and they decided to stop at the Blind River Rest Stop near Riverbend, Ontario. And they decided to, you know, just stop there, get some sleep. And then on the morning of June 28th, uh, Gordon and Jackie were the only two people at the rest stop. So here you have this. You're, imagine this scenario. You're in your RV or your camper uh, with your loved one. You're alone. You're the only people at the rest stop in the middle of the night at like 1 a.m. in the morning. And then you just hear this loud knock on your door. Yeah. Police, open up. You got to move this thing. And that's that's creepy. But what makes it even creepier is the fact that this person, as you open the door, it's not a cop. It's Jeff it's Daniels if he really let himself go. Or Chris Elliott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you got this guy with stringy blonde hair. He's got two sh- two guns. And he's, he, he's which, by the way, just, who is this guy? Fucking Terminator or something? Like those those <laughs> yeah. guns are really heavy to hold. Yeah. He's holding like two of them, like he's like fucking Terminator Two driving the motorcycle and holding a shotgun yeah. with one hand. He's holding two of them at the same time. Yeah, it's like what the fuck? This guy's got some strength. So, yeah, this guy, he's t- a terrifying presence. Opens the do- you open the door. This guy with stringy blonde hair with this desperate look on his face and he's telling you i'm going to rob you and then i'm going to kill you like no subtlety no anything it was just like i'm going to rob you and then i'm going to fucking kill no you. no mystery like i wonder what he's gonna do after he robs us well let me tell you what i'm gonna do and gordon jackie they give him their valuables uh jackie begs this assailant not to hurt them saying they won't tell anyone uh but the gunman shot her shot her in cold blood gourd then jumps out of the camper in some like superhero shit yeah some kind of like jackie lee does his own stunt thing like yeah. barrel rolls under the jackie camper Chan. jackie yeah. lee <laughs> uh, did i say jackie lee well, whatever jack <laughs> bruce lee jackie chan jackie lee the ultimate fucking superhero uh, so yeah he jumps out of the camper lands on the ground Surprisingly, he doesn't hurt himself at that moment. And then the gunman fires at him, but then he roll, has enough wherewithal to roll himself underneath the camper. Right? And like, you're like, okay. Who the, fu- who the fuck would, would, would know to like do that? You know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty like genius, but like, it's almost yeah. like, really? Did he really do that? Because that's like very like, ingenious. Maybe there's just some, something that survival instinct know, kicks it, in. Yeah, some sort of survival instinct. And he's hiding under this camper. Like already, this is a very tense and very suspenseful segment. You got this creepy guy with the blonde hair shows up with two guns, blows his wife away. 
uh, and the guy escapes and he's hiding under the the camper, and the guy's looking for him, and and of course the Gord is just scared shitless and he's just hanging there he's ha- hanging out under the camper and he's just like oh please keep running don't go don't don't find me some other car pulls into the rest stop and then this 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 poor guy brian major who's like 29 years old he had a wife and a kid he gets out to see what's going on the gunman approaches him he then immediately got back back in the car and then tried to get away. But then the gunman's like, uh-uh, and then shoots him uh, in the in the front of the windshield. Shot him through the windshield, killing him. It was fucking brutal. It was like obviously someone who uh, didn't have a plan, and it was like, oh, okay, now there's now there's a witness, and why not kill? I, and you or know, maybe or maybe his plan was just I'm just going to kill somebody. Like it wasn't necessarily about the robbery. It was, I'm going to kill someone tonight. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's like, why would he ask for their valuables? Well, sometimes it happens or that's the setup. That's like, Oh, give me your valuables. And then I'm going to kill you because it's a, you know, it's just, it's, it's a part of the sick game for, for these type of uh, individuals. So we shot the guy through the windshield Gord is just hoping and praying the gunman will leave. Eventually, the gunman did. He got in his own vehicle and fled the scene. Uh, the vehicle is stereotypically a windowless blue van. Uh huh. Because, of course, it is. Because, you know, <laughs> ser- serial killers and pedophiles around the world, they vote for Econoline, the best van to be creepy in. <laughs> yeah. So, Gord survives, but he realizes he's been, he's been shot. Uh, he know he knows that his wife was pretty much a goner. He stumbles to get some help. Uh, he he flags his trucker, who then um get goes uh to the next town to get some help. But he actually has somebody that comes in right afterwards and takes him to the hospital. He survives, but his wife doesn't. And he would have been married 39 years to his wife in September of 1991. And when you and when, and when this guy is interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries, you've never seen a, a, a more sad bastard than this poor fella. Like you can see it. In, I don't know if I'd use the term bastard, but you well, know, you know, it's like poor son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> like yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's it's just like you can poor you, soul. You've yeah. never yeah. It's, I used a little too colorful language there to describe an old widowed man whose wife was murdered by Chris Elliott. Um, but yeah, like you just see the fucking sadness in this dude's face. Like even in the interview, like you can you can mm-hmm. tell like he doesn't even care at this point if he lives or he dies. He lost his fucking best friend of like. He said that he said when he learned that she was dead, he didn't care whether he lived or died. He felt that his life was over. Now, uh, yeah, it was it was so tragic just seeing this guy, just this poor soul. Uh, just talking about losing the love of his life and how when he realized the killer was on the loose, even though he had police protection, he was fine with the idea of the killer somehow still finding him and killing him. Yeah, it's like, was any of that really fucking necessary? You know, so senseless. Like, I- Yeah, that's the thing. That's what's so creepy about this is how senseless this this crime is like it's just brutal 
just out of nowhere. The setting itself is is something that I've always kind of been creeped out by is when I'm alone you know in, in at night by myself like sometimes even like in my home like I remember when the the first like night or so um after my backpack was stolen and my house key was in there and all of that um that was scary to me. Like I was, I I was legitimately was having a hard time sleeping that night. It's because you watch Cause unsolved mysteries. Had, yes, that's probably why. I'm just thinking about somebody breaking in. I mean, it's, shooting it, my it's, ass. It's like at least, <laughs> at least if that blind river thing had happened to like me or Mike, and it was like one of us in the RV, it's like, yeah, they didn't really have much family. Like they weren't married, no kids. They had some crappy little YouTube channel that no one really cared about. Eh, whatever. But, you know, for a guy who's been married tw- uh, 39 years or whatever, it, it, with probably grandkids and even great I don't know. I think that would still be tragic. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> eh, you know, it just wouldn't be as sad. It'd be like, uh, you know. I don't know if tragic would be the word I would use if you or what I got. What are you doing? Like, I'm like, oh... If we got shot, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Nobody would give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't see it being as, uh, as, as, as newsworthy. It's like, uh, you know, single white guy with no family, uh, lived by himself, uh, subsisted <laughs> off of uh, microwave lasagnas for breakfast, ca- uh, did karaoke for a living. Uh, got uh, <laughs> shot, and I, I'm just I'm just don't think that that would uh, garner the same uh, sympathy as uh, no. If if you got shot by some creepy guy with blonde hair who looked like an out of control Rucker Howard, then yeah, I think I think that I think that might have gotten some traction, maybe. But uh, yeah, the killer never was found, so that's another creepy thing about it is that the guy has never been found to this day. Well, hopefully he saw the Unsolved Mysteries segment and felt so guilty that he, like, hung himself or something. That's what I hope. You know, we, you know we don't get that kind of justice. No. No, assholes live forever. All right, up next we have, um, well, what should we do? Let's, let's throw a UFO one in there. This is, this is a, a gift from both me and Mike. This is when... You go to Christmas and it says from mom and dad, you know, or or from the whole family, but you know only the mom or only the dad paid for it, but they threw the kid's name in there too. It's like that the kid didn't help pay for it. Don't say from the kid too. But anyway, this is Allagash abductions. Um yeah. this this probably could have come in at close to number one as far as like the creepiest um case mm-hmm. on Unsolved Mysteries. From uh the artistry of uh all of the four men who were all like kind of these artsy kind of guys who were all very good at like illustration and yeah. drawing these very well I mean by the way Allagash is about an alien abduction for those of you who aren't yeah, already aware. Essentially these four men in nineteen seventy six who went up into the Allagash wilderness in Maine and on the second night they see this bright object in the sky and then two nights later they were fishing in a boat and they see this bright object again and they do they flash off SOS to the object the object suddenly shot out a bright light which began to follow them 
Uh, they be, they begin to paddle to shore because they get kind of freaked out at this point. And then the next thing they remember was being on the shore and the bright light vanishing. And they're all just standing there like they're posing for like a Hallmark or like a JCPenney like portrait or something. And um, <laughs> they were very fatigued. They didn't discuss what just happened. They were just they just went to bed. And then they continued their trip. And then years later, Jack and Jim Wiener, yes, their last names are hilarious, um, started having these nightmares about these alien beings and being on this craft and all these experiments being done. And um, so you have all four men, Jack and Jim Wiener, Chuck Rack and Charlie Fultz, all buddies or whatever. And... um, they basically all get together and start corroborating their memories and um, then they go under hypnosis and they, the hypnosis is recorded and really the, uh, the coup de grace of this entire episode is putting the hypnotized recollections of what's going on with the drawings, the beautiful illustrations that these guys uh, thought like came out of their own head so this is what they saw in their head from their dreams and since they're so good at drawing they were able to bring it to life in a way that you never saw in any of the other alien episodes on unsolved mysteries and then they got the creepy music of course in the background the low droning synth bass and um yeah it just makes for for really one of the creepiest ufo segments um out there you know because yeah you're under the understanding that these men are under hypnosis so they're not they're not just being interviewed they're talking in a very unnatural way that when you're interviewed you're talking in a very um kind of like on purpose a purposeful like maybe kind of slightly nervous tone but these guys are just like very like i see chuck rack they're putting something on him it's sucking things from him it's they're doing things to him i i don't like him it's looking at me i swear if it gets any closer i'm gonna throttle him what i don't i don't like these things i don't know what they want from me like it was like that kind of cadence it was very creepy and And then with the music it just and it's like showing it over the the illustration like it's communicating to me with its eyes its eyes are telling me, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. Do it's it. like, don't be afraid, bitch. Yeah, you look like... <laughs> I'm a, shaking. You look like you a, know? F- a fucking grasshopper a hundred times the size it's supposed to be looking right at me, telling me, don't be afraid. What are you talking about? It's the first thing I'm going to be is afraid. So, they, um, you know, they go to that famed dude who actually did the missing time thing too. What was the guy's name? Um, Ray. What's his last name? He was, he was also in the missing time one. Anyway, um, his name's Ray something or other, but they went to him and um, Ray Fowler. Yeah. Ray Fowler. Um, They investigated the case and they, um, they believe him, but then you had like a skeptic on there, Dr. William Cole. And he had the whole, his whole point of view was that the men received their memories from television shows and movies. 
And then, like, the stock movies that they show, like, what, it came from outer space or something. And the aliens in in that movie looked so fucking cringily awful. I think it might be Invaders from Mars, like Some, the original Invaders from Mars. Something. Yeah. And, and the aliens look so bad, like, the design and everything. Yeah. Compared to the drawings that they drew, it's like, nah, dude. Like... This this was years before like that yeah. became the archetype of what an alien is. These people were, but <laughs> these people were drawing what they saw from their their dreams. Yeah, I do agree that this is definitely one of the creepiest unsolved mystery segments. It would be on my list if if I uh, didn't know that you were already one hundred percent definitively going to have it on yours, uh, at least in terms of your five. Of course, um, I would I would put it near the top myself you know for the combination of different factors that you already mentioned the quality of the reenactments the uh the actual hypnosis audio coupled with the just creepy disturbing eerie score uh and all of the drawings and everything and just the just the concept of alien abductions has always been creepy to me period um ever since um I saw an episode of sightings when I was a kid that dealt with a UFO abduction. And the, and nowadays when I watch the reenactment, I laugh because it's really cheap. But like when I was a kid, like I don't have any idea. It's just fucking gray, some alien with big ass eyes looking out somebody's window at night like that. Uh, it, and so, you know, that that that's something that <laughs> that creeped the hell out of me as a kid. I remember like looking out windows and stuff and Oh, me um, too. You know, making sure there's no fucking aliens looking back at me. I was scared me. to death of like aliens and UFOs and shit when I was a kid at for, because of shows like this. Although I still read like tons of books about UFOs and aliens, but I didn't but a lot of the stuff I read wasn't specifically about alien abductions. So when I started reading the stuff about alien abductions, uh um that's when things really started to you know send chills down my spine i think the thing that like scares us is like the very the same it's the very same thing that compels us because it makes us feel Mm -hmm. something outside of our normal realm of feelings and that that is enticing in in some in some way in some regard that's interesting like oh this is you know, this is breaking me out of my everyday routine. Like, even though this is this is uh, perceived as like an, an anxiety right now, it it might turn like this. This is going to turn into something that actually fascinates me, which ultimately yeah. is what happened with me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was fascinated by it prior to even seeing uh, UFO segments like this and unsolved mysteries. Um, I was just fascinated in general by uh, the mysteries of the unexplained. It just blows my um, mind how like big this shit was in the 90s and how it's just like yeah. so like not a thing anymore. I mean, yeah. like they even made I like, mean, you had you you had a film Fire in the Sky, which I don't think was based on this case, but I think it might have been based on another potential case. Um, and that. That was a that film came out in the nineties, yeah, like 90, 93, I want to say. I think it was earlier than that. I could be wrong, but it was a effective little drama. Uh, definitely, the biggest selling point was the alien abduction scene. Oh yeah, that's like that's like the wall to wall alien abductions. That's it's just that's just like one 
That's, main that's scene. the only reason to watch that movie is the alien abduction scene, in my opinion. I think the I think the other stuff is actually pretty good in terms of the acting, in terms of the build up to it. For then, me personally, then then of course you had the X Files, which was totally yeah. riding on the dick of oh definitely the the all the UFO stuff in the nineties that was. Popping. But yeah, like I think what you were probably going to say is that we had a fairly recent uh, leak of some sort, you know, where we had footage from the military and the air force and so on of what clearly are ufos of some kind and nobody batted an eye <laughs> yeah everyone's like yeah so uh the new season of uh stranger things is on netflix i don't care i love how the i, I think, love how- i think they deliberately leaked that because it was in the pandemic i think that was during the pandemic if I remember correctly, like 2020, right? So, yeah, something like that. that. It felt like it was a couple years ago. It sounds very deliberate. I like how they couldn't well, just the, leak it during the pandemic. People were more worried about toilet paper than they are about yeah. aliens. Yeah, when it when it's when it when people's like pocketbooks <laughs> start getting hit, all that other extraneous shit goes out the window. Yeah, that's great that there's UFOs outside my house. I need to fucking eat something. I need to wipe my ass. Like, like a uh, uh, basic needs first. Then I'll care about like the extra stuff. Or the extraterrestrials. <laughs> I like how the government, they couldn't just like, they couldn't just let the tinfoil hat people, like, ha- they couldn't just like use the term that's been used all this time. They're like, oh no, it's it's uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. We're not going to go with unidentified flying object. That's just, uh, it's too pedestrian for us. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Algash is definitely uh, one of the creepiest segments, if not one of the just best segments uh, in the history of unsolved mysteries despite the fact that some of the statements some of the you know, validity of the case is kind of a little there was some consequences there the was some controversies that- like one like one of the guys was like mm-hmm. wanting money or something because like three of them formed together because the other one was like a drunk or something and it, it, there, there's some messiness in the in there where yeah, there's some messiness and there's some instances where some uh some of the members or one of the members of the Allagash was it four they they were all like yeah no this didn't happen blah 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 it's hoax you know that kind of thing yeah all right let's roll through these last two because I gotta head out soon um the last one for me is the uh, Withville UFO sightings uh, in Withville, Virginia. It's a great segment. This was titled as the UFO Odyssey on the UFO uh, box set from yep. Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, this deals with a radio reporter named Danny Gordon, who was a 100% skeptic initially uh, when it comes to UFOs. Uh, he ran this little news show uh, in Withville, Virginia on the radio. He had some police officers locally who claimed to have seen UFO called in. And then he told the story as, a, as you know, a joke initially because he didn't buy it. As, it was as he liked to put it, a ha-ha piece. This was one of his yeah, ha-ha piece. pieces. And it sparked a bunch of listener reaction because a bunch of UFO sightings just kept pouring in to the radio station. And so many kept pouring in that eventually he decided to make a whole night on October 17th so everyone could call the station to report their sightings. Eat your heart uh, out, Art Bell. Ultimately, 1,500 people saw some sort of UFO in Withville 
uh, around the time of, of these sightings. That's a lot of people. And that the re- that's one of the reasons why I picked this as a creepy segment is just the, the concept of 1,500 people all being like, yeah, I, I saw a UFO. Yeah, they really uh, they really had a boner for Withville. I mean, like a whole like bus full of kids. Like, cause imagine this: like you're in high school, you're in, on the school bus, you're there, you're on your way home, and everyone in the bus sees a UFO. I thought it was. I believe it was the uh, parking lot of a mall. And it like, was, but and there they, was a school bus there. Yeah, and they were parked there, and like everyone mm-hmm. started freaking out, and because it was like. And he he, uh, he took pictures. Uh, it was like it was like four orbs, and they went into one, mm-hmm. and then they like you know did all that crazy UFO shit that UFOs like to do. Yeah, and you know that that like I said, it's one of the reasons why I picked this segment. Um, but the main reason why I picked it is because of the stuff that happens later. Is when Danny and like a colleague of his named Roger, they start to really go deep in, in investigating these UFO sightings. They start going to places where these UFOs were supposedly seen by others. They He's calling the Pentagon. They start taking photos. They start doing reconnaissance stuff. Um, then they start getting... He starts getting phone calls. Danny receives a phone call from a person who claimed that the CIA and the federal government were interested in the UFO sightings in Withville. Uh, no, there were other phone calls that he received that told him not to investigate the sightings because they had to do with the government. Uh, they actually play the audio, the, the actual yes, audio do. from from one of the yeah. phone calls that he yes. got, and, and and the the one of the the Makes my blood curdle. One of the biggest like uh, like fuck moments I have with unsolved mysteries is that they didn't play that entire call uninterrupted. They only played like mm-hmm. two, like. 15 seconds of it and then 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 yeah. like stack comes back in with his voiceover and i'm like oh what are you doing i want to hear the rest of the fucking what he had to say and yeah and yeah. you can tell by this guy's voice like he sounded like this old retired general he's like all right let me tell you something danny uh the government's been uh you know watching you and and, and they'll get you any way they can uh, my son died from leukemia and they'll put it on your doorknobs or put it on your steering wheel they might even mess with your your uh, family and your children and then it's like they cut to Danny. He's like, "Now it's one thing to uh, come at me, but when you uh, when you come at my family, you're treading on very thin water." And uh, you know, blah blah blah. blah. And uh, he's like, "All right, well, thank mm-hmm. you, but I'm 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 still gonna go." And he's like, "He's like, darn it, boy, you think I'm some crackpot?" And I'm like, "No, no, I appreciate, it. thank you." And because um, he was gonna go yeah. to like uh, somewhere down south for some conference mm-hmm. or something. Because prior, it was a press conference. And he went to the press conference. He finds his home was broken into. Nothing was stolen. But he believes that somebody had broken into his house to take the UFO pictures. Uh, then, uh, And that actually happened before. His house was broken into before he got the call from, from the, the guy. Um, so he already was aware of some strange things going on. And so, yeah, uh, by the end of December, the UFO sightings had reached over 1,500 in the town of Withville. Um, he received, yeah, he was packing for a broadcaster's conference in Virginia uh, after the initial surge of sightings. And that's when he got the call from the re- retired military intelligence officer. And that's the big reason why I included this is because of that call. 
Um, and also, I mean, eventually he was so stressed out because of all of this that he had a heart attack. Yeah. Because he he he, he was exhausted. He had a heart attack due to, due to severe exhaustion. Or he just collapsed in his heart. He didn't necessarily... They, they said he had some sort of attack, but... It seems like he just collapsed due to, to a panic exhaustion. attack. Yeah. And then, you know, people were like, hey, stop doing this UFO shit or you might die. And then he kind of took that advice. Actually, he did. He stopped researching. And he, he's, after... he, he says at the end of the segment, he goes, don't look up because as soon as you look up and you see something and, and you tell someone what you saw, your life will never be the same. Yep. And that's how Stack started out the the segment. And I, I love how the segment has this sort of greatest hits of UFO cases. Yeah, that's why they, I think that's why they call it the UFO Odyssey because yeah. they had all the different. Yeah, things. because they they have this like greatest hits uh, reel of like all the best UFO segments that they already aired on on the series on on the show. All right, so let's just. I gotta bang out this last one because I gotta. I got. I'm already gonna be late to karaoke, but it's whatever. It's a slow gig, so yeah. hopefully they won't care. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> my my last pick for the ten creepiest is the mystery hum. Now, some of you may have seen this. Some of you may have not. This is also known as the ELF or the extremely low frequency or the mm-hmm. Taos hum. And um, this is one of the segments from the later seasons, right? I believe so. Yeah. But yeah, uh, 95. So basically, it's it profiles like these three people who, and, and the one, the guy that they profile, and this, this really fucked with my head as a kid. That's why I had to include it on here, is basically this guy is like, uh, I think he's living in like Detroit or something like that, and he's studying one night. Yeah, it's it's uh, Detroit. Hal is the guy's name. Um, he was um, studying for some kind of test or something, and he heard this hum, this low, like a motor idling sound. And um, the longer the sound continued, the more it caused him to lose focus. He checked the local airport, the ventilation systems of a university, and other places where he believed the sound may be coming from. However, he could not determine the hum's origin. A few people suggested to Hal that the hum was coming from electrical fields in the area. They suggested he go to an underground copper mine to see if he could still hear the hum down there. Within a few minutes, he confirmed that he could still hear the hum. Surprisingly, he said it was even worse underground. And then you had Sarah Allen, a radio broadcast engineer, who claims to start hearing the hum in 92. Um, after she was dispatched to repair a transmitter, um, she made a digital recording of what the hum sounds like to her, and it's kind of this like menacing sounding, low growling sound. Like it's not definitely not something I would want to hear twenty four hours a day of my life. Um, and uh, like there was one other lady who heard it, and she actually had to like retire from her job as like a forest ranger because mm-hmm. it was so disruptive to her life and um i just like and there was a lot of theories on like what it could be um ear nose and throat doctor eugene flaum was brought into unsolved mysteries to meet with hal um it was determined that he was suffering from some hearing loss but nothing specific to the hum um 
According to a group of researchers, the noise is created by nothing more than waves, albeit not the kind hit by the shoreline around the globe. Some scientists argued ever since the phenomenon was first discovered that the sea waves colliding with the ocean floor might be the trigger behind it. Uh, now, and then a, why doesn't everyone hear right, that? Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, new, no, new research was made possible by the fact that seismographs can easily de- uh, detect the slow noise using an array of scientific data collected from an instrument called a U.S. Array Earth Scope. The science team was able to infer that the west coast of Europe was also generates mm-hmm. a significant hum of its own. Natural, natural explanations aren't really that creepy, though. The creepy thing is... It's some kind of I government experiment, some shit they're doing on the side that nobody knows about, messing with sound frequencies. Yeah, it's almost like the Havana syndrome, you know, where yeah. people are they're using like this radio infrared radio frequency yes. to like target certain people's heads mm-hmm. and give them these crazy or uh, like the creepy s- story I heard from a coworker at JC Penney in Oklahoma City who was ex-military and told me that he was there when they were testing a new sound wave gun that was just using sound waves to, uh, you know, disorientate people and to, you know, cause damage. And so they were just, it worked. They were basically just playing like Lump Biscuit records at a high volume. No, no, it was some kind of low frequency, kind of like the hum, something like that. But I'm telling um, you, as a kid, when I saw this, um, I, being the hypochondriac I was, I started like hyper focusing on like whenever it was mm-hmm. silent in my in my house. I would yeah. like hype, especially at night when I was trying to sleep. Like I would yeah. hyper focus on like any low sound, like in the uh-huh. background, and in any, no matter what situation you're in, most of the time, if you hyper focus on on the silence, you will hear some kind of low sound in in the background somewhere. Yeah. And I know from recent experience when I was dealing with like the brunt of my ear infection, there there's this thing, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was some specific term or whatever. And it, it, it's a type of, it, it's a side effect of the ear infection where you're, you hear this whooshing in your ear. It's just constant. Yeah. It's like it's tied into your heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So, it's just this, I just like constant, can't get rid of it. Doesn't matter what you do, like that. I'm just imagining that, but with this low, rumbling, creepy ass tone. Yeah, like, and, and like that in itself was enough to drive me over the edge. Again, for me, it was like all- if I had to deal with that shit for like the rest of my life. Like, dear God, like any time, any moment of silence, like I'm trying to go to sleep. It was was incredibly difficult for me to get into sleep when I was dealing with that. Yeah. like nearly impossible. Yeah. Like the shit that that creeped me out the most in Unsolved Mysteries was always the battle inside the the mind more than it was like the murderers and the stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So. All right. um, I don't really even have time to plug anything right now. Um. I've I've got to like literally get off the podcast, throw on some clothes, and I'm still going to be late. By the way, folks, the term for that uh, wuching is called pulsatile tinnitus. It's actually a form of tinnitus. 
Yeah, tinnitus is something you do not want either. I have a little bit of that. No. It's like I, I have a very tiny portion of it, but yeah, that shit, uh, you don't want that. But anyway, that's the podcast. I hope you enjoyed our top 10 creepiest segments. What do you think? Leave them in the group. I know you guys had a lot of suggestions. Uh, some uh, We didn't get to a lot of them because these this is our own list, damn it. But uh, we did get to some of them. We did cover some of your things um but yeah uh again sorry don't have time to plug anything else because i gotta go but ladies and gentlemen until next time enjoy the rest of your night goodbye see ya thank you for staying late not really a whole lot of drama other than my hours being slashed to basically nothing at at my other job but you know, on my second job, it's still rather steady. So, you know, it, it, it's it's something I could deal with. I uh, just have to cut back on on spending, you know, because things are going to get a little tight. Right, right. Also, I mean, I was planning on doing that anyway, but now it's like a really significant priority. Okay, Mike's cutting because... back on spending. All right, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> because after uh my uh my backpack was stolen with my phone like now i have to pay for both the old phone and the new phone yeah and like now now my phone bill is like nearly two hundred dollars oh that sucks so yeah it's a it's a fucking pain in the ass plus my internet plus all the other stuff so well yeah, it um, is what it is i i i am not hung over today um the reason oh. why the reason why I'm not hungover is I've gone one week no alcohol. Hey, yeah. good for you. Yeah, one week. Baby steps. Hey, man, that first day was uh, was monumental. Um, I I was like my drinking had gotten so bad that like my I was just it wasn't even really benefiting me anymore. It was just like I would like mm-hmm. feel like shit all day, and then when I drank, I would just feel like kind of like normal or in a good mood like i wouldn't even get i wouldn't even feel basically i would have to like drink to like feel normal Um, i mean that's what i remember reading with uh, a lot of uh drug addictions because alcohol is considered in a lot of ways a drug well yeah absolutely is a drug is where it would get to the point where you wouldn't really get the same uh reaction from it no it, it would become diluted. Yeah, it's called tolerance. And then you have to do more and more uh-huh. and more yep. until uh, you would get anything from it. Significant. Yeah. And then you... It's that way with cigarettes, too. Like, when you first smoke your first few cigarettes, you do get, like, a buzz from it. You do get kind uh-huh. of, like, a head high or whatever. And yeah. um, that's kind of... That, that initial little buzz that you get, like, keeps... That's that's what keeps people coming back. But then before they know it, they're not even getting buzzed anymore. They're just smoking because when they're not smoking, they're annoyed and they're irritable. And when they smoke their cigarette, it gives them their fix. And, you know, they're able to, um, like, function normally. That's that's how most drugs work. And um, I, I was just finding that, like, when even I- over the counter drugs are similar. Because I noticed uh, that my allergy meds are, they don't, they, they are listed as being 24 hours, but I've been taking them for so long that they, they do not last 24 hours anymore. Yeah. So, the body definitely adapts. building up a tolerance. 
the body definitely adapts and it adapts to bad habits too, like the the habit of mm. okay, it's eleven o'clock, I need to go out and start drinking because that's just what I do. Why am I doing it? I don't mm. know. It's just what I. It's a part of my habit, and I've I'm I've found that in this last week I've had to make new habits. Um, because I, I got on anti-anxiety medication at the same time, and that's that's one of okay. the main reasons I stopped drinking was because I, I, I knew from past experience that if I drink a lot on top of anti-anxiety medication, it, it essentially, like, cancels out the effectiveness of the medication and it doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. So, that's probably why they have those labels like, to say, like, don't drink. Don't take with alcohol. There's a bunch yeah. of reasons why they have that because, like, the medication itself has a sedative effect and alcohol also yeah. has a sedative effect. And so, like, you might black out. It just depends. Uh-huh. I, I know for me, like, I can drink on that stuff and it doesn't affect me in that way. But it does make the medicine, like, like much less effective. So I just wanted to give myself like a dry period where it's like let the medicine kick in and all that before I start, you know, start up my drinking and all that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of nice not to wake up feeling like shit every day <laughs> um, and being like more clear headed and, and all that. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not going to be sober forever. I love alcohol too much to like stay away from it for good. But uh I'm just riding the wave right now of sobriety and just, you know, okay, getting into some trying out some different All right. healthier habits, yeah. Any- I thought I thought you were going to, you know, you were announcing on the podcast uh, for the new year. It's like I'm gonna, I'm going to go cold turkey. <laughs> Fuck that. Gonna, no. no. Uh, it's fine. Um that kind of ties into a show I watched uh uh earlier this year. Uh, dope sick i finally uh sat down and watched that entire series and uh it was really good depressing but really uh quite a uh, phenomenal show that i definitely do recommend to, to you and to anyone else i was who, liked watching uh, any kind of seen it yet i liked watching any kind of mo- movie or show that was about uh like drug users and who are who are strung out because all yes. else made me feel better about myself yes because i'm the, like there was a little bit of that like after i watched that entire uh series like it did put some things in perspective in my own life where i'm like you know what things aren't you know amazing they're not exactly where i want them to be but it could be a hell of a lot worse Right, could be addicted to drugs, could be having all these other problems. Yeah, and, and I can I can tell you, as someone who you know, like, has been in you know, I've I've been in it pretty deep as far as like mm-hmm. I've gone months where I would like drink every single night. You know, when we're talking like ten to twelve drinks per night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, damn, that many. Uh, Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, when you when when you're in like. When you're in the throes of that, like kind of during the day, like when you're not high on, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever, like you just feel like this, this soulless husk, like you feel like this shell of a human being. You don't even feel like yourself because like no, there's mm-hmm. like no happy chemicals in your brain at all. It's just all you're just functioning in autopilot, just like you're there, yeah. but you're not really, you know, like your personality isn't really there anymore. You're just this like husk until you like drink or use again and then 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 all of a sudden you reanimate and you feel yeah better you know but what um, was really messed up about dope sick is that it was chronicling uh the creation and the rise of oxycontin yeah and how oxy 
was uh, deliberately uh, misrepresented by uh, the company that made it to uh, get people addicted. That was deliberately uh, uh, set up that way so they could make all this money, uh, even though they knew that it was more addictive than they they were claiming it was. Yeah, that company had to pay out a big ass lawsuit recently because mm-hmm. of that. Because they that finally, but, but the heads of the company still are are loaded. They had to uh, pay out a good chunk of money, but they weren't put in the poorhouse by any means. By it, that's how much money they made off of this. And I like that Dope Sick has a central character in it, played by Michael Keaton, Doctor Phoenix who is a doctor in this small town who he himself got addicted to oxy mhm there was and one just there was one show that i watched and it was it was uh it was non fic fuck my little anyway i have you know those stupid <laughs> little dolls that people use those little dummies that people use when they're trying to draw a blank sketch? okay yeah, it just I, fell over. I have one that I use on my. I have on the on my desk. I have, they're on all my YouTube videos, and the, the hand just came uh-huh. off. Um, but now there's this uh, nonfiction uh, documentary thing about uh-huh. this lady who was. Um, she worked in like the drug lab or whatever, and they had all these like um, they they pretty much had almost any street drug you could imagine like in in this like case and some of them were in liquid yeah. forms whatever and um i forget how she got into it but she got to where she started doing these drugs these sample drugs in wow. in the lab like and she would do everything from crystal meth to heroin to Shit. pcp and like they eventually caught on that she was doing that and um they had to exonerate like all the people who were brought up on drug charges where she was in charge of, um, you know, that's the, crazy. Yeah. Cause they, they, it's like, Oh, well she was high the whole time she was doing these tests and it put all these innocent people in jail. And Damn. yeah, I forget the name of that documentary, but it was, it was really good. It was super interesting. Yeah. That one does sound interesting, but yeah, dope sick, highly recommended. And then Michael Keaton won an Emmy for his performance in it. Uh, it's depressing. It, paints a very disturbing bleak picture of the pharmaceutical uh companies but uh it's a bleak but genuinely real uh instance of malpractice or not necessarily malpractice but you know just just greed i would imagine it's pretty its hard to it's pretty difficult to paint the pharmaceutical industry in a positive light i I would imagine oh definitely very difficult to do that especially when they are taking advantage of people who are legitimately in pain and they're coming up with these just nonsense terms like breakthrough pain which isn't a thing but they do it to trick people into buying into their bullshit and it's crazy that so many doctors fell for this. It's an, and they're, they're professionals in their field, and they fell for this nonsense. Like you even have doctors who will be like, "Hey, I've never heard that term before. What are you talking about?" And they're like, "Oh." Then they explain it a little bit, and then it's like, "Oh, okay, all right. Well, that sounds that sounds logical." And I'm like, "No, it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's an opioid." 
Yeah. Uh, so but, synthetic heroin, man-made heroin. Yeah. My dad yeah. was all about and that And there shit. were a lot of people that actually wound up going on heroin. Like a lot of the addicts at yeah, Oxy. because the pills were harder to come by and heroin was cheaper. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Yes. It's true. And there was a statement at the end tying things into you know, the new year and everything and, and, and so on and putting things into perspective. Uh, Dr. Phoenix talks to a group of people at his own clinic that he started after he got clean for recovering uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. And he mentions uh, that, that pain is, is a part of uh, life you know, some of those things where it's just like how you handle it, you know, so on and so forth. People handle it differently. But, you know, uh, it, it's important to realize that it, it's something that we all deal with. And it just made me realize that I think a lot of the the spending I was doing, like last year in particular, was tied into different kind of pain that i that i was dealing with where i was just trying to to cover it up or you know bury it by buying these things to try to make me feel better but in reality you just need to face that pain and just find a way to deal with it that doesn't involve trying to do all these things to make me feel better for an instant. You know, you're not actually going in and, and, and finding the, the root uh, of where the pain is coming from. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, that's like when I was first, like the first few nights that I was kind of like, you know, like withdrawing from alcohol and I was trying to sleep. Like I, I, I didn't sleep where the shit, but I was telling myself that, Yes, Josh, this is your nerves being awake and not being numbed for once. These mm-hmm. are your these are your nerves like firing off because they're so used yeah. to being numbed at this time of night and they're they're active and they're you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do and they're you know, they're 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 overreacting because you've been numbing them for so long and it's like just embrace what's happening, you know, as a sign that your body is like reawakened from being numbed constantly yeah from the from the alcohol anyway that's the end of the dr drew section of the podcast exactly we have way too Uh, much juicy shit yes we have our uh own uh drug and that drug is uh unsolved mysteries the good on the og the good stuff not 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 (laughs) not only the og unsolved mysteries but like the top shelf like not the um reunited heartwarming you know reunions not the um the the miracle dog that traveled across the country not the miracle rock no none of those <laughs>